go, family. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. We prepare ourselves for what you have to speak to our souls this morning. We open ourselves to you to hear what you have to say to us. And I pray today that you would anoint our pastor, God, that he would be your mouthpiece today, that he would speak to where we are, that he would speak to where our hearts are. And Lord, more, most importantly, he would declare what you have placed upon him. Your word, let it be declared today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people's walls would just fall and they would hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated, and we're going to read our text here in just a few moments. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 28 and verse 29. And I preached on this verse of scripture not too long ago, but we're going to go just a little bit of a different route than what we normally do. But we're going to be talking a little bit about the unshakable kingdom. Again, bring it right back here, Zach. Praise the Lord, right about there. And uh, you'll understand this a little bit later. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and verse 29. The Bible says, wherefore, we, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Another translation says, which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. How many want to serve God acceptably? And how many want us to have the godly fear that we need? And then he says in verse 29, and he reminds us, for our God is a consuming fire. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that we have been talking about the end times. And today I really want you to really pay attention to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying because he has got a heavy word for this congregation. I am excited to preach it and yet sometimes I fear and tremble of what the Lord has shown me in my prayer time and what the Lord has revealed to me as a pastor and as a shepherd to share with this flock and share with this congregation. I stand here today with trembling knees and a reverence unto the Lord because I understand the heaviness of our hour. I understand the seriousness of our hour. And let me say this, we're not here by chance or by coincidence or by luck. You're here by divine appointment. God has placed every single one of you here. And let me tell you, you were born for such a time as this. You were not born out of, this, out of uh, uh, the century in which you were supposed to be born in. I hear people all the time, I wish I lived in the 50s. I wish I lived in the 70s. I wish I lived here. And I wouldn't, no, you don't. You want to live in the hour in which God has designed you to live in. And God has equipped you for this hour. God has entrusted what is going on in this hour to us. And we are the last day church and the last day church is going to be greater than the any former of the church put together. So I want you to know you're in a time of greatness. Look at somebody and say you're in a time of greatness. Amen. You know, when you look at our text in the latter part of the first century, the writer of Hebrews wrote to the Jewish Christian who were facing extreme stress and great persecution. Their world was unstable and there was their times was uncertain and they needed to be encouraged. And we all find, our, find ourselves at times to where we need to be affirmed, to where we need to be edified, to where we need to be encouraged. And the word of God sometimes when we preach it, it edifies people, it builds people up. But yet at the same time, have you ever been corrected and it felt good? I want to tell you there's times when pain sometimes feels good. And I, there, there are times when my children, my grandchildren come over and they're always picking on me and doing things to me. Sometimes they hurt, but it's a good hurt. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And that's where we're at right now in the kingdom of God. There is a little bit of uneasiness. There's a little bit of uncertainty. But yet in the context of what God is doing, though there is some pain acquired, yet there's something wonderful 
wonderfully happened behind the scenes. And I want to reveal that to you here today. God is about to explode upon the earth. Can you say amen? If you believe that, just stand to your feet and holler to the top of your lungs and give him glory. Hallelujah. You believe it with me? Hallelujah. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. I believe I got a congregation that's on board. I believe I got a congregation that's in tune. I believe I got a congregation that's ready to rumble. Hallelujah. I like it when that UFC guy comes out and he says, Joel, in the corner. And he does all that and everybody explodes. Well, let me tell you, the Lord is rumbling from the heavens. God is speaking louder now than he's ever spoke before. Can I have an amen? But it's in the context of this setting that we see that when they needed to be encouraged, when they needed to be infirmed, that we see that the writer of Hebrews reminded them that they were citizens of an eternal kingdom. The writer begins by taking their attention off of the worldly kingdom in which they live, the natural, the physical, and he places it upon the spiritual kingdom in which they received at their salvation because they were born into a spiritual kingdom at their new birth. This is what the term born again means in the context of salvation. He wanted them to rest in the fact that they were a part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ which was a spiritual kingdom that could not be shaken. He tells them that things are going to begin to happen and he begins to tell them that things are going to be shaken and the things that are being shaken not to worry about it because they are a part of a spiritual kingdom that cannot be shaken. Can I have an amen? So we understand that this kingdom cannot be moved. And as we look around in our world today, if if I, if I could choose one word to describe the world in which we would live in, it would be the word unstable. How many believes that we're living in some unstable times? How many believes we're living in some rocky times? Come on, somebody here help me preach today. Do you believe that we're living in unstable times, times of uncertainty, times of pressure? Yes, that's where we're living. Right now, nationally, we are facing uncertainty due to the effects of this thing called the virus. I was praying the other day and I thought, Lord, I'm so sick of hearing about the virus, the virus, the virus, the virus. The, that's all you hear. You can't even turn on the television with the virus, the virus. I'm so sick of the virus that we need to kick it out. Can I say amen? And I wasn't going to preach on it at all. And the Lord says, you have to preach on it because it's relative. It's where the people are living. It's where the people are at. And they're hanging on to the fear of the virus, the virus, the virus. So that's where our world is at. Maybe us not all as Christians, but the world as a whole is being controlled by just simply the symptoms of a virus. Even though they may not have it, yet it's still controlling them. Can I have an amen? Though it's not gripped their home, and yet with the fever and the sickness and the coughing or whatever it is, yet it's still controlling them. It still has an effect upon them. And we don't know what the outcome of not only this virus is going to be. We don't know. There's uncertainty. But we also don't know the effects of the outcome of the consequences of how we as a people have reacted to it. We have shut down, my friend, a whole nation, and we went trillions of dollars into debt because of this so-called virus. Do you know how serious that is of a nation going more trillions, not billions, but trillions of dollars in debt? Food is beginning to skyrocket. Have any of you seen that? I about passed out when I went in to try to buy some ground beef the other day. $7.10. I said, no hamburger's worth that. Amen? And, and, and then not only is it skyrocketing, but in many places it's being limited and even rationed. I went into Kroger. You're only allowed two packages of meat. I went down here to uh, uh, Tin Box or whatever that thing's called. And I walked in limited to two, two, two boxes or two packages. Went to Walmart. It didn't matter that it was limited. There wasn't none on the shelves anyway. And I sat there and I thought, wow, I've never seen this in my whole lifetime. People in many places are still restricted to their homes. People all over this nation has lost their jobs. There's more unemployment now than way back in the 1920s during what we call the Great Depression. Food is not only being skyrocketed, all these things happen, but then people are losing because of they're losing their jobs. People are losing their homes, their cars, and other assets due to not being able to pay their mortgages 
and their bills on time. Small businesses has been hit so hard that in many places that they'll never reopen, even with the stimulus package, because there's not enough money. Did you know the government does not have enough money to pull everybody out? There's no way that the government can pull everybody out. The government cannot pull a whole nation of people out by giving it money. Can I have an amen? Is somebody with me here today? Can I tell you, if we're not careful, we will sink this nation trying to keep others from sinking. Let me say this very loud. It's not a political statement. It's a fact. A socialistic nation will never survive or thrive or prosper. Get it out of your head. It, ain't, it doesn't work. A nation survives when its people are working when their people are investing and when we're building a strong economy. And a nation survives when they are a free nation to make choices of their own concerning their dilemmas and their own set of problems without a big government taking control over their lives that have political agendas tied to it who don't have a clue where the common folk live. I want to tell you, Washington does not have a clue where you live. Can I have an amen? Oh, I almost said something nasty. I think I'll say it anyway. Nancy Pelosi has more money in ice cream in her freezer than what I got in the bank. Can I have an amen? They don't have a clue of what money is. While we have shut down a nation to protect people's lives from a virus, we haven't looked at the destruction that it's caused behind the scenes. Come on. While our attention is misplaced upon a virus, at the same time we are ignoring the trends and other spikes that is life-related, that is very serious, that's caused by the action toward the way that we view the heart of this virus. If we're not careful, we will destroy more lives than what we're trying to save. Due to the virus, people have died due to the postponements of their regular scheduled surgeries. Did you know that? Did you know that people with heart trouble those whose surgeries were postponed have died while waiting for a reschedule of their surgery. People with cancer treatments and surgeries postponed have died due to the cause of spreading of the cancer while waiting for the hospital to open up in order to do their procedures. Others have died to over restrictions of seeing doctors for checkups and doctor visits because most of the doctors now are doing things on the phone. You're not examined. You just tell him your symptoms and he does the best that he can by listening to you. That is not proper health care. They can't help it, but that's what the rule of the law of the land is. Many have lost momentum in their health care because everything has been put on hold and now they're losing ground and strength due to not being able to have the proper care that's needed for their lives all because everybody else is put on hold while they cater to this thing called the virus. This is all happening while they're laying off thousands in the medical field and, and, and among empty hospitals. Hospitals are empty all over this country, folks, and emergency rooms are almost non-inactive in many places across the country due to them waiting for the flood of virus of victims that has never come and has never happened. Fox News said the other night, I was watching it, there were 10 field hospitals, I believe, if I remember it correctly. I wished I would have wrote it all down, but I'm gonna get very close to it. There were 10 field hospitals around the nation that was built by our government. Some of them would bed up to 2,000 people. Most of them was bedding at least 1,000 to 1,500. And out of the 10 hospitals that was erected out in the field, only two of them had any kind of patients. One of, the, one of them had 38 patients. The other one had a little over 100. Out of all 10 of those hospitals that was going to bed thousands upon thousands that was supposedly to get this virus, only 200 was actually actually treated and it cost the government $600 million. Think about that. Not only that, we sent a ship up to New York, one out on the West Coast, as you all know, a big government ship of a hospital with thousands of beds. One of them didn't have any patients. One had just a handful of patients that cost another millions and millions of dollars. Due to stress, depression, and fear over the virus, overdose deaths are spiking. Suicides are spiking. Alcohol abuse is spiking. Are we paying any attention to those people? Huh? Come on, somebody help me preach. What about those statistics? Are we seeing how many dying? 
because of the, what we have put upon the American people through fear. Now it's getting quiet in here. Other trends are happening due to the fear caused by the push of this virus. Murder is staggering and surging in most major U.S. cities. Crime is spiking out of control. Theft is at a rapid speed. They actually called the sheriff in California, one of the sheriffs in a certain county, and they said, would you please, the governor, governor did, would you please help us lock down those that will not stay locked down? Would you arrest them? She said, absolutely not. I am not going to, I am not going to arrest people that won't stay locked down in their homes because I'm so busy of arresting the ones that was in lockdown that got a virus that were criminals and rapists and murderers that you've set free and now I'm going out and rearresting them for crimes and they're spreading not only the hate, not only the hurt throughout the community by theft and murder and all that, but they're spreading the virus. It doesn't make sense that a normal, hardworking man that's trying to provide for his family or woman is being arrested for getting out of their house while hardened criminals are being released. Other trends are happening as a result of shutdown and travel restrictions such as domestic abuse calls are running out the roof. School dropouts are at an all-time high. An increase of the view of adult entertainment and internet pornography has skyrocketed, which has triggered a spike of sexual crimes. Depression is running rapid. Anxiety is full in the hearts of people. Other trends include people not willing to return back to work for the workforce due to public handouts that pay more money while they're off than when they were working. The workforce is being annihilated, which is destroying economies and future jobs, and it's causing product shortage around the world. Do you see what's happening, what's being set up? Are you blind? Do you not know the scripture? What's taking place here? Right now, they just this. Uh, it was Friday, or maybe it was Friday. I went into a restaurant. Mike Burton was with me. We flopped down and we ate a very small portion. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. But we were sitting there eating and the owner come by and flopped down and got to talking to us. Won't mention the restaurant because I don't think that'd be profitable and I don't think they would like that too well. But we were sitting there eating and this owner began to talk to me and him and we, I said, are you glad to be open? Oh yeah, we're glad to be open but I don't know how long we're gonna stay open. And Mike looked at her and said, why? Is there gonna be more restrictions? Come, they got anything to do about restrictions. It's whether or not that we can get our food supply. And I looked at her and she said, and even if we do get it, because they serve a lot of meat. I'm a meat eater. Said even if we do get it, the amount that we're having to pay for it, probably the consumer's not going to be able to afford our prices and it's probably going to cause us to have to shut down. And I got to thinking about that, how fast things can turn around just like that. Can I have an amen? This is happening right here. If it's happening right here in the rural area of America where we have access to cattle, access to things where we can go out here and get things and bring it to a, 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 a processing plant and have it processed, think about what's happening in the major cities. Think about how this is affecting a restaurant right here in this town that has been a solid restaurant, that has been a very prosperous restaurant, says if something don't change with the shortages that they're getting and the hardship of trying to get food supply, that we may have to close our business. Abortions have been skyrocketing with women making this statement. I would rather kill my baby than give birth and pandemic. Many are killing their babies due to uncertainty and the fear that has gripped the hearts of men and women. In the normal America that we live, such as you and I, we felt secure, we felt safe, we felt sheltered, we felt protected. How many has always felt that way in America? Haven't you felt secure? Haven't you ever felt, felt safe in America? You, I remember as a little kid and I would hear certain things, I'd say, ah, that'll never happen. When we would hear all about the end time prophecies concerning national disasters and famine and devastation and destruction and all this other kind of stuff, we Americans almost with a sense of pride thought it wouldn't and couldn't happen to America. 
We had a false sense of security and we believed that it could never happen to the strongest nation on the face of the earth. And yet, it was not atomic bomb. It was not a foreign enemy attack. It wasn't an invasion. It was just a threat of a virus that affected less than 1% of the population that has changed our world just like that. Amen? And if you think this is bad, I want to tell you, you haven't seen anything like what's coming on the earth in the near future. Amen? Egypt one time felt like America in the time of Moses. They were some of the most strongest, most powerful military might in the world. Matter of fact, Rome, the, Rome, the Roman Empire felt the same way America did in the time when Nero was around because there was no force or no power like that of the Roman power. And when you go back and study Rome, they thought it would always be the superior uh, force upon the face of the earth forever. But both of those nations were crumbled. And when Jesus looks at Capernaum, that great city that was always known for its prosperity and its wealth and its commerce and all of the different things and how mighty and how powerful and such a fortress that it was with all the ships and with all of the merchants and with all of the things that's going on and the military might that surrounded that little city and the walls and everything, Jesus looked at Capernaum and says, you are highly exalted to heaven, but know that you shall be brought down to hell. Think about that. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You said, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. It is. Hang on. Look at somebody and says, this sermon ain't over yet. Amen. So don't go to sleep because the best is yet to come. <laughs> Amen. We as Americans, we have a false sense of pride and we relied too much upon our nation, our government and our military might. We have put more faith in our nation to protect us than we have God himself. And the Bible says that woe unto the nation that forgets about God. What happens? They shall be turned to hell. We've always said with American pride, we are Americans, we are survivors, we will rise, we will build, we will fight. But what we needed to be saying is this, we are one nation under God. And one nation, we are a nation who puts our trust in God. Can I have an amen? We have forgotten who God is. And God is returning the nation back to a sovereign faith in who he is. Can you say amen? God's out to do a work here. We're living in an unstable world. How many knows we're still being unstable? We're facing political uncertainty in our coming elections. Stock markets are tumbling. Have you noticed that? Up and down, all they're valuable. Oil prices are dropping. We see war, terrorism, famine, natural disasters, economy instability everywhere we look. We are seeing political madness that is literally demonic. Cover-ups, lies, injustices, criminalizing innocent Americans for political power. We're seeing brainwashing of American people by false news driven by a political media. The list goes on and on and on. There's a shakening. There's a moving, something's happening, something's changing, something's shifting. Anytime something's shaked, it's moving. Amen? It's going from one place to another. With all that is going on, we need to realize exactly how we are to react to all of this as the people of God. How are we to react as the palace of praise? One of my greatest uh, uh, challenges and my greatest assignment by God as a shepherd is to preach to people in the time of crisis and give them instruction on what we're to do. Do you know what kind of heavy load that is? Do you understand the seriousness of what's on my shoulders? Do you understand that I stand up here today and I stand accountable the way I lead you in the time of crisis and the time of instability? I tell you, it's a mandate that's very heavy. This mantle, I don't take lightly. And if I preach to you something wrong, I stand on the day of judgment and be accountable for it. God, help me to be right in what I'm preaching. And I would not be preaching it if I wasn't 100% sold out to what the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. First of all, we need to understand what it really means to be a part of the kingdom of God. How many is a part of the kingdom of God right here? Raise your hand. The word kingdom comes from a Greek word. I cannot pronounce it. If Josh was up here, even though that he's schooled in the Greek, he still couldn't pronounce it either. We just make things up. The word means the rule of God or the sphere of God's rule. That's what it means. To break it down in modern day English where you and I can really understand it, it just means wherever the king rules. 
That's what the kingdom of God is. And if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you're saying that God has rule or the king has rule over you. He's Lord. He owns you. He's master, your servant. Paul said, he's master, I'm slave. Can I have an in? That's what this is all about. The devil, as we all know, is the prince in the power of the air. He rules in the spear around and upon the earth. He goes to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may what? Devour. That's where his role, that's where his rule and dominion is at. It's in the prince of the power of the air and upon the earth. He rules in a warly kingdom, one made up of flesh. His power lies in the carnality of man and he feeds upon the human flesh. That's how he feeds. The only power that Satan has is the power that you and I give him. Did you know that? You know why I know that? Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 37 that we're made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, this is why Paul penned the words and asked the question in Romans 8 and 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Can I have a Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens and equips me. When the devil tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden through the serpent, when the serpent was cursed, this is what God said about that event in the book of Genesis 3.14. Listen to what it says. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon the belly shall thou crawl, and dust shall thou eat all the days of your life. And then he says to the man in Genesis 3.19, and thou art dust. Did you catch it? Here the serpent, the great dragon, is stripped from its legs and its power and its beauties. It was the most beautiful creature in the garden, the most dominant creature, and it was, it was, it was abased to the level of a serpent. And he said, from now on, you're not gonna be the prince of the beast that rules and the beauty of the kingdom, of the animal kingdom, but you're gonna fall and you're gonna become a serpent and you're gonna crawl in your belly and you're gonna eat dust all the days of your life. And then he looks at me and says, you're dust. In other words, it is the earthly, fleshly acts of man that gives Satan his power. He feeds upon our fleshly activity. The less flesh that we react to, the flesh, less flesh that we walk in, the less the power the enemy has. Because the flesh feeds him, but faith destroys him. Amen? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Give the Lord praise for the power of your faith. Huh. Oh, dear Lord. Huh. The rule of Satan is the rule of the spear of the worldly, the carnal, of the flesh. The kingdom of God is twofold in reality. First of all, we enter the kingdom of God when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Bible makes it clear that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom under the lordship of Jesus Christ that we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through this earth. How many knows that? Secondly, the kingdom of God is of a prophetic nature. Prophetically, the kingdom will come in its fullness when Jesus comes back at the second part of the second coming. This is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. While both kingdoms are being shaken today, both that which is spiritual and that which is physical, that which is natural and that which is carnal, I mean that which is spiritual and that which is carnal, they're both being shaken. The church, the body of Christ, the people of God are not exempt from the shakening that's going on. I'm not exempt from it. You're not exempt from it. We're living under the pressure of it. We're feeling the effects of it. How many knows what I'm talking about? How many is feeling the effects of the virus? Be honest. Of course we are. It's raining on the just and the unjust like. However, we understand that the spiritual kingdom will not be moved. No matter how much we're shaken, the spiritual man inside of us will not be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Hebrews 12 and 26 says, even though God has shook the earth once, yet once more he will not only shake the earth again, but this time he's gonna shake heaven as well. And according to the scripture, the next verse is he's gonna shake everything that can be shaken. This is what's going on in our world. This is the world in God's hand. Sometimes he does this. Sometimes he does this. 
Sometimes he, and sometimes he, how do I know that? Because in the book of Acts, these men, these people of the kingdom of God, they'll go around and they turn our world upside down. Can I have an amen? And according to the scripture, he's shaking everything that he can shake it. This shaking is going to purify the people of God and the kingdom of God. That's what it's doing. While at the same time, the shaking is going to devastate and bring down and bring destruction to the things that is of the worldly kingdom. In the end time, before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is going to be more powerful while the kingdom of this world is going to begin to become into a place of depletion. It's going to get less and less and less and the church is going to get more and more and more. Am I preaching to a dead congregation here this morning? Did, I just, did you hear just what I just said? The earth's fading away, but the reality of the eternal is coming to the forefront. The things of flesh are dying out in the church, but the things of the spirit is on the rise. <laughs> Revival's on its way. Everything, the shaking of the kingdom of heaven is removing those things that can be shaken that is not of a spiritual nature. Everything will be tested and purified by fire. And I want to tell you, because the scripture said our God is a consuming fire, it's God doing it. The shaking and the fire are inseparable because everything's going to be tested by fire and that which is wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. But that which is of a precious gold and silver will rise to the top. The shaking is cleansing and purifying and sanctifying the church so that when Jesus appears, we'll be like him. You know, the Bible says we don't know, we don't know what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall, be like, we shall see him as is because we shall be like him. Amen? When he returns, he's going to make himself a pure church. And when he returns, we're going to be like him and we'll see him for who he is. God's purifying you folks. God's purifying the palace of praise through a shakening. <laughs> it don't feel good, but it's gonna bring forth some fruits like you've never seen before in your life. The only thing that's gonna remain will be those things of eternal value. This is why during the shaking that we, the kingdom of God, must focus our lives on what really matters and not be distracted by those things that have no lasting value. That's what this shaking's about. How many of us changed the perspective since the virus took place? Wasn't the virus that changed your mind. It was the shakening. Some of you got into different places, ate different things, had to totally change our lives. What done it? Was it the virus? No, it was the shakening. Because you haven't even had the virus. Wasn't the virus that done it to you. It was the shakening. Come on. You've changed whether you know it or not. America's changed whether we want to accept it or not. Can I say amen? We have to keep our focus on our faith in Jesus Christ. We are a kingdom people. Our foundation is not of a worldly nature. Our foundation is not in our circumstances and economies or corporate institution or banking systems or the medical field. Our foundation is on Jesus himself, Jesus alone. I like the old song that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. The shaking into the worldly kingdom is removing those things that are not spiritual in nature, that's not in a spiritual nature as well. The world's being shaken just like the church is. It's being shaken. And when it's shaken, it causes the worldly kingdom to begin to crumble. It causes it begin to collapse. Why? Because the worldly system's not able to stand on its own because it's not built upon a solid rock. It's built on sinking sand. All worldly things will pass away. They will burn up through the shakening and things will never be normal again. The some of the things that have collapsed in our society, there is no rebuilding it. It's done. It's over. Now, I know there's going to be moments of good times. Then there'll be a shakening moment. But the longer we live and the further we get into this, the shakening, right now there may be a shakening here and a shakening there. I think in the next four years you're going to see little tremblers. You're going to see tremors and you're going to see some shakening going on. But I, I believe the further that we get in, the deeper the shakings are going to be, and they're going to become more rapidly. They're going to increase 
And until the time that Jesus comes, by the time that Jesus comes, this whole church, this whole thing, it's going to grumble and moan and groan and shake until he who is perfect comes and gets his church. Go to the Romans and you can read that. This dispensation is coming to a close. This is called the church dispensation. It's called the grace, the dispensation of grace. It's about to come to close. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only the eternal remains, that the church will be resurrected in power and in strength and in beauty presented to the Lord as a purified bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. Nations, governments, systems, all will collapse. Famine, destruction, drought, and fear will be dominant in the world order where Satan rules. So what does all of this mean? There's preaching doom and gloom. No, not. When everything is being shaken, we have to see the underlying event that's taking place. If we're not careful, we will not even see the things for what they are due to how the current, of, current affairs and af, uh, affairs are affecting us on a personal level. Folks, I want to tell you, our focus must not be on our pain and on our discomforts. Our focus must be upon the word and upon Jesus Christ. You're going to feel some heat, but don't let the effects be the driving force that dictates to you of what's taking place or you'll miss the spiritual altogether. If we're not careful, our eyes will be focused on the worldly structure or system that we think feeds us and that takes care of us and it will cause us to see the spiritual workings of, it'll cause us not to see the spiritual workings of God that God wants to produce within our lives. And if we're not careful, by a lack of faith, we'll, we'll abort what God has decreed and declared over our lives simply because we won't see it because our focus will be up of a, of a physical nature instead of a spiritual nature. Every time there was something significant in the spirit, did you know it was always tied with shakenings? Go back to the book of Exodus in chapter 19, verse 18. Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it with a fire. There's the fire. And the smoke there ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. It shook. Notice that the fire was among the shakening. It's always going to be there. People were out of control due to their sinning. Folks, while Moses is up there getting the law, the children of Israel are down there making golden calves and they're forming idols and they're dancing and they're partying and they're having orgies and everything else. They're sinful. And Moses is up on the top of the mountain and yet the people of God the whole nation was invited to go up there with him, but they refused. This is where God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, and it was establishing the instruction of a spiritual order, a rule that was to come. God was saying, I'm tired of what's going on. I'm going to give you law for them to live by. It was God building his platform in and amongst a worldly system controlled and ruled by Satan himself. When Jesus was crucified, what happened? Matthew 27, verse 51 and 52. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top and the bottom, and the earth did quake. And the rock did shake, and, and, the, and the earth did shake, and the rocks were rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Here we see again that a shakening took place when law was given away to grace and the spiritual kingdom was being birthed by Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross and he cried out, It is finished, the earth shook. Then we see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The place was shaken by a spiritual mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. This was the coming of the kingdom and power that Jesus Christ birthed upon the cross. Each stage or each dimension that God birthed something in his kingdom, when God done something supernaturally, when God done something significant among the kingdom of God, it was always followed up by a shakening. The shakening was always a part of what God was doing. And matter of fact, look at the future shakening. Zechariah 14 verse 4 and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be cleaved in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall go to the north, and half of the valley shall go to the south. You know what this is? The shake, this shaking speaks of Christ's return after Armageddon, the second part of his second coming. He will step on the Mount of Olives, and a great earthquake, earthquake will split the city of Jerusalem. He's going to come down. He's going to put that foot on the Mount of Olives and boom. And that old eastern gate that stands there that's sealed up that they said Messiah will not come in, it's going to blow apart and Messiah is going to walk through that eastern gate. 
Oh, let me preach. That's going to be a future shakening that has not yet happened. At Sinai, you have the giving of the law. At Calvary, you have grace through the cross. At Pentecost, you have the power of the kingdom. At Armageddon, you're going to have the fulfillment of the kingdom. And this is when the tribulation age will completely pass away. A new age and a new order will come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is when, this is when there's a new Boston town. There will be a thousand-year millennial kingdom. This is where there will be a new rule, a new order, a new system, a new government in charge. This is when the king of kings will reign with a rule of iron and all things will be put under his feet and the lion will lay down with the lamb and there will be perfect peace. Praise God, there's a shaking coming where King Jesus rules and reigns. But until that final shaking ain't coming, this is going to keep happening. Just like it did with Paul and Silas in prison. Amen? There they were at the midnight hour singing praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. This earthquake shook, shook the worldly system. It shook the prison until literally the foundations gave way when the foundations gave way. Have you been in a house where the foundations are gone? You can't open or shut a door. If you, sometimes you'll try to shut the door and it'll, it'll fall right back open. That's because the foundations have been destroyed. Do you know what God's doing right now? The shaking that's taking place in the world, it is breaking down the manipulative system of Satan's rule and the kingdom of the world is collapsing because God's shaking is destroying the kingdom's foundations. I haven't got time to preach all of this sermon. I'm going to leave my notes. Is that all right? Look at Isaiah chapter 24. I'm going to skip all of that. Isaiah 24. Put it up there, guys. I just want to read to you a little bit. Behold, the Lord maketh the empty, earth empty. He maketh it waste. He turneth it upside down. Scattered abroad the inhabitants thereof. Sounding familiar? And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, as with the master, as with the maid, as with the mistress, as with the buyer, with the seller, as with the lender, with the borrower, and with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury. In other words, it's going to affect everybody. There's nobody not going to be affected by this. Even the rich is going to be affected by it. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken the word. <laughs> the earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also was defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken down the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth and they that dwell therein and are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. The new wine mourneth. The vine languisheth. All the merry hearted do sigh. There's no joy. The mirth of tablets seeth and the noise of them that rejoice endeth. The joy of the heart ceaseth. There's no more music. They shall not drink wine with a song. There's not going to be joy in the, in the song anymore. Strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. It's no longer to affect them. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up that no man may come in. There's a crying for wine, for joy in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. Look at the next verse. Go to the next verse if you can, please. When this it shall be in the midst of the land, among the people, saying, in other words, when you see all this in the midst of the land, in the midst of this time, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is what? Done. Now, you got to understand why, what's just taking place here. Here I know that this is speaking of Israel, but Israel's always been used symbolic in what we call double action. In other words, what, what happened to Israel a lot of times happens to us. There's symbolic action by what they went through in a real life-related extent. We go through in a spiritual, uh, spiritual extent in the New as the New Testament church. Just like Ezekiel chapter 37 talking about the valley of dry bones uh, being raised up. Well, that was Israel. But I want to tell you, the valley of dry bones is also raising up in the church. Can I have an amen? I think you're all getting the picture of these scriptures I just read to you about the corruption and the evil that's in the land. 
This chapter reveals the earth's sin is coming to a head. It's escalating. And, it, and sin is reaping its consequences. And if you go and read the rest of the chapter, I stopped at verse 13 on purpose, but go read the rest of the chapter. It talks about the foundations of the earth, the foundations of the earth being shaken, verse 18. He talks about the earth being early broken down and being clean dissolved and being moved exceedingly, that there's gonna be, uh, that the earth itself's gonna be moved by his hand, verse 19. He talks about destructions, pits, snares, imprisonment. He talks about leanness. He talks about treacherous dealers, verse 16. He talks about leaders and kings of the earth, government, rulers, and high people of high positions being punished. Verse 21 and verse 22. He talks about the transgression will be so heavy upon the earth that the earth will become like that of a drunkard who's unstable. He'll fall, and when he falls, he'll never be able to get back up to normalcy again. In other words, he said the earth is becoming drunken in its sin, and they're like drunkards, and when they fall, they'll never be able to return to their status of strength and standing ever again. They're drunk on their own wine. They're drunk on their worldliness. That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, where's it excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Can I have an amen? We see the first 12 verses. It's talking about the ruin, the decay, the corruption. I think verse five and six sums it up better than any of them. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws. They've changed the ordinances. They've broken down the everlasting covenant. Therefore has the curse devoured the earth and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned. There is the fire. There's with the shaking. And he says, and there's few men left. Right in the middle of this, God comes along and he says, hey, but when you see this happening, you're going to see an olive tree being shaken. I got to get away from my notes or we'll be here too long. Oh, Lord. I hope I can remember what all God's put in my spirit. God says, when all this is going on in the world, he said, that old olive tree is shaken too. The olive tree represented Israel. It represents the church. It represents the people of God that you and I are not exempt from the shakening. The world's being shaken and so is the church. But he tells you what's happening to the church and he's already in Isaiah 24 told you the outcome of the shakening of those that's in the world. Those that's in the world are gonna fall as drunkards never to be able to get back up or rise up ever again. They're gonna move, be moved out of their place. Come on, the foundations of the earth are gonna be destroyed. The worldly kingdom that Lucifer's over who thinks he's the bright and morning star, who thinks he's the prince of all princes is going to find out that his kingdom's about to collapse because our heavenly father in heaven is doing a shaking. And Satan can't stop it. Shaking, shaking. But the olive tree's being shaken. We, the people of God, are being shaken. But we're shaking like the grapes are being shaken that's been brought to the vintage. Why is the grapes always shaken and brought to the vintage? What does that mean? It means when they're brought to the vintage that the grapes have been harvested and they're brought to the vintage to make wine, joy, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Shaking. Church are being shaken. Right along with the world, but the difference is the effects that the world has upon them because of the shaking does not have to come now you. Because your shaking is for a different purpose. Did you know the olive is not picked? Many are chosen, but few are called. You know why? Because God refuses to pick you. God puts pressure upon you until you yield and you submit and you offer yourself to God. He don't pick you. Many are chosen, but few are called. Why? Because they won't get under the mighty hand of submission. They won't yield themselves over to the Lordship of Jesus. And you know what this is all about to the church? It's about a yielding process. Us yielding ourselves over to the hand of the Lord where he becomes more God in our lives and we become less of ourselves. Is that not good? Oh, I'm not done yet. Hang on. But the shakening takes place and the first thing that happens in the process of the harvesting of the olive, it has to drop from its tree. Why does it have to drop from its tree? Because you're going into a new season of its life. 
It's important that we understand that we all have to come under fruitfulness and we come under fruitfulness because we're attached to the vine and that vine is Jesus Christ. And our fruit comes from that. The fig tree was cursed by Jesus even though he gave it three years to bring forth fruit. At the end of that three years, he didn't bring it and he cursed it because it didn't have any fruit. You're judged by your fruit. But I want you to understand God wants more out of you than just your fruit. God wants your fruit to be put to the purpose of why that it was brought forth. So what happens is God has to shake you from your familiarity and your comfort zones even though it was a good place, even though that tree brought forth fruit, God says, I gotta take you out of what was good to bring you into something greater. You gotta leave the inferior to get to the superior. Look at somebody and say, you're fixing to go into the land of superiority. Woo! God's shaking and why? Because he's taking me in on a venture of life that's uncertain and the uncertainty, there's fear and there can be anxiety. But the problem of it is we've got to put all of that aside and we've got to trust and we've got to yield ourselves to the lordship of Jesus and by faith follow his leading. Get unplugged from where we're at. He's taking you to a better place. This shakening shall not destroy the church. It's making the church. He's beautifying the church. So the olive tree falls. We sometimes we have to leave our good places. They're not bad. They helped us to get where we're at. But I want to tell you something. The olive was not made and produced and formed just to hang on to a tree forever. It was made to be harvested so that it could produce oil. The process, real fast, gotta skip hours of preaching. Oh dear God, this is unfair. It's in me. First thing that happens, the olive falls. The next thing that happens, they take a knife and pierce it to drain it of its acid because an olive is bitter until it's drained of its acid. Pierce it. It's like a body, it bleeds, and when it bleeds, it leaks the acid out. And then when it's done pierced, there's a whole preaching on that. And then when it's pierced, after a while, it's thrown in a bat of water and it's soaked. That hole that was created, the water gets in and what happens is that olive begins to absorb the water. The water representing the Holy Spirit. Why? Haven't you ever heard of the former rain, the latter rain? Haven't you ever heard of the outpouring? It represents the word, Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify us by the washing of the water of the word, the word of God. And he talks about how that he'll sprinkle clean water upon you. Every time I preach, whether time Randy preaches or Josh or Zach or Mike or whoever, when we preach the word of God, we're sprinkling clean water on your heads. And this olive lays in that bat until it absorbs that water. It, it soaks and the water gets inside of that olive and it pushes the rest of that acid out. It removes it of its complete bitterness so that it will not taint the oil. You cannot go into your next level being bitter. If the shaking, you don't understand it, you can't go into your next level blaming crying, murmuring, griping. Come on. Full of anxiety, full of fear. Nah, yeah, yeah. Nagging. If you don't understand your shaking, you're not going to go to the next level to produce an oil out of your lives. But God says, ha, huh, there's some acid there. I got a piercing first. Let him bleed a while. After that, I'm going to bring healing, a bomb to him. I'm going to throw him and soak and saturate him with the Holy Spirit. That's coming to the church. Amen? And then when that olive is brought out of the soaking, you know what happens? The outer crust, they call it the outer 
flesh of the olive. He takes a knife and he peels around it and he takes the outer shell of that olive and throws it down, takes the rest of the olive for eating, and then he takes the seed and uses it to plant another tree. The seed remains. The other part becomes meat to people to feed upon, but the outer shell of the flesh is put in a bag and pressed and pounded and beaten. Why? So the oil comes out of it. What is the oil? It's the anointing. God is producing the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the church. Oh, we're shouting, ain't we? But a lot of us want the anointing, but we don't want the pounding, the beating, the pressing, the shaking, the dropping, the piercing. We want the soaking, but we don't want anything else. Right now, this church is going on in shakening. Nothing's birthed without a shakening. Ask a pregnant woman. I want to tell you, pressure's what births. If I, you see me shaking this all, all along, haven't you? Mike, would you open that? <laughs> Why not? Connie? Here, I'll open it. No. <laughs> Why, do you, Why don't you want me to open it? Going to be an explosion? That's the exact word I used. There's going to be a what? An outpouring? <laughs> Prophetic words right there. You want to open it? Donna. <laughs> you know why? I built pressure in the bottle by shaking it. And the force inside when I open this cap, it's stronger than the force on the outside to keep it in. So that means that as God shakes his church, the pressure is building so strong in the church that the pressure on the outside cannot stop what's happening on the inside. Woo! God's saying, Chuck, stand up, Chuck. You don't understand it. You may not like it, but I want to tell you, you're being shaken. Why? Because God is putting pressure on your inside that's greater than the forces on your outside. And before long, there's going to be an eruption, an overflow, an outpouring in the life of Chuck Richardson. That's where we're at right now. Everybody tells me, we ain't got nothing to do. We just go home and watch. Well, let's just, just preach all afternoon. Right now, if I just took a normal bottle of Pepsi off of a shelf and opened it, nothing would happen. But if we keep remaining in the things that's normal, that's ordinary, nothing's going to happen. Most churches... For the last several years, shed in the shade of comfort, popped their tops, enjoyed their Pepsi. But this church is not going to enjoy its Pepsi because it's being shaken. And there's going to be an eruption. There's going to be a volcano erupt. Come on now. And when it spews out, it's going to land on everybody. If you don't believe me, watch this. That's the problem. Did you see her? We're wanting to dodge it. That was a good illustration, wasn't it? Because I knew y'all would do that. We need to say, here I am, poured on me. I'm not afraid of it. If we don't understand the time of our visitation, if we don't understand the time of our shakening, 
and we allow all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our bad circumstances to rob us of our focus on Christ and all of our focus is point. I don't understand what's happened this week, last few weeks. Been crazy in my family. Granddaughter having brain surgery. Another daughter-in-law fighting the baby, the diagnosis of MS. Uh, my son Jonathan being attacked by a wild coyote, having to take rabies shots. Now I can just go on and on and on and on. And I went into the other day and I looked and I said, you know, when the enemy fights me and flicks me, I said, I don't like it and it hurts, but he's done and got personal now. He's picking on my grandbaby. He's picking on my daughter-in-law. He's picking on my children. And I said, Jenny, as bad as things are happening, boy, the victory sure is gonna be sweet. Because God's shaking in the Miller family. I'm not here down and out. And if you'll go on, and can I just preach just a few more minutes? Let the, burst, let the roast burn. You can have burnt offerings and sacrifice when you get home. <laughs> One thing, and I'll shut up. As the world goes through the fire and it's diminishing the world and crumbling its in power, the literal scripture says, rejoice, those of you in the fire. Rejoice as if you've been cast out in the uttermost parts of the sea. The sea represents turbulence and unrestlessness. In your unrestlessness and in your turbulence and in the midst of your fire, lift up your voice and glorify the name of the Lord your God for it is he that's doing a work among you. He is bringing you to the producing of oil and you shall be my anointed from this day forward. Would you stand with me, please? Rejoice now. Rejoice in the midst of your shakening. Come on, rejoice with me, people. Rejoice and be glad.